Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The trouble with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. Okay guys, welcome to episode 6 of the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast. I'm Cammy Black and joining me this week are Gav Harper. Evening. Jack Mysick. Thanks for having me. And Ian Hay. Hi there all. Uh, Jack and Ian, you're new to the podcast, uh, not new to the blog. Um, so we'll start with our introductory question that we ask everybody on their first appearance. Uh, Jack, what socks would you wear if the Barbars came calling for you? Um, I'd probably go with the Brody Smithers fashion t- tactic of one of uh, each of the clubs I played for. So I'd I'd have Stuart Melville on the uh, on one leg, and then uh, also the Edinburgh Bat setup, the Edinburgh Academy youth team. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go with those two. But what is it about Stuart Melville that produces people that want to do podcasts about Scottish rugby? Uh, probably we're just uh, very outspoken people. I'd probably go with that, so uh, we just get every chance to rant, and we'll take it. Uh, and Ian, what about you? Oh, well, this is where I get exposed as the absolute fraud that I am, because um, I've never actually played a full 15 game of rugby. Uh, I recently discovered that my mum knew somebody in the front row who broke his neck, so that was vetoed from a young age, even though I'm definitely not built for drop. So I would either have to go sockless, or... Uh, Okay, we're going to start by looking at the upcoming England game. Scotland face England at Twickenham this weekend, looking for the first win down south in 34 years. The last time Scotland won at Twickenham, we had a female Prime Minister, a celebrity president of the USA, and England were coached by a dick. Uh, We've only been around since 2007, so archives don't go back that far, but we have unearthed uh, the piece that I wrote for for another site in 2013, which previewed the match on behalf of the blog with our English blogger. Uh, we mentioned it back in episode four, and it's the one where I go slightly overboard in the light-hearted banter uh, re- that was requested in the brief. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to try and compare uh, how things were four years ago with how they stand today. So guys, what I'll do, I'll read out the question um, and then my original answer, and then we can see what's changed. And then I'll uh, I'll get you to choose a comedy English accent, and I'll uh, read out the English guy's answer at the end. Um so, first question, Gav, you can take this one after I've given you my answer from uh, four years ago. Uh, what do you think will be the deciding factor in this week's game? Uh, last time round, I chose the weather. I said I thought England were hoping for a dry day, but we would probably do better if it was wet. But I- I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Probably not. No, probably, if anything, it's probably the other way around. Um, we'll be hoping for a, a pretty dry track and an opportunity to go out and fling the ball about a bit and as, as few scrums as possible, I'd imagine, and uh, I'd imagine they'd like to have a lot of set piece and and kick us into submission. And Jack, what about you? What do you think will be the deciding factor this week? 
Uh, deciding factor, I, I would say it's uh, whether or not we can stop the big English ball carriers' momentum. Their whole game seems to be based on getting over the, the gain line and then uh, sort of grinding teams down. So if, if our forwards can front up and stop that, then I think that'll go a long way towards beating them. Would you agree with that, Ian? Um, yeah, they just stole both of my answers. Um, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd said the you thought it would be better if the weather was bad, but I think this time round we'll be looking for it to be a nice dry day because, as the guy said, you know we're a, a ball and hand running team, so you know the better weather would probably suit us better. We don't like, want to get dragged into an arm wrestle with the uh, the English because their their packs a lot bigger than ours. Does anybody want to choose a comedy English regional accent for me to read out what the English guy said? Yeah, nails on a chalkboard, kind of scouse, like really great. <laughs> oh, that's probably the one I'm worst at. Um, <laughs> if England can carry their form from their clash against, uh, sorry, if England can carry their form uh, over the Scots, could be in for a long afternoon. If the visitors are competitive early on, I think we could see another typical England Scotland dog fight. So there's that's my scouse. I'm not that doing. I'm life. not doing that, that again. Life. Yeah, outstanding. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I, I can imagine there's probably plenty of England um, fans who probably still think that as well. Um, but Jack, um, the question, next question was, what strengths do Scotland possess that will help them prevail? Um, four years ago, interestingly enough, I picked out the back row as being pretty formidable. Um, at that point, we had Beatty, Fazaro, Strokosh, Kelly, Brown, Wilson and Harley. Um, I mean, most of them have, have gone, but that's probably still quite a strength. Yeah, I, I would agree so. Um, I'd say that the back row, it's slightly different dynamic now. We've got a lot of guys who are a lot more mobile um, and that that would just be quite a, a contrast towards what I'd imagine be a very heavy set English back, um, yeah, back row. Um, alongside our strengths, I, I'd say what we have now, what we haven't really had in the past is a flair. And given how ruthless England's defence has been, it, it just gives us that sort of unconventional approach with guys like Russell and Hogg who can produce a moment of magic. And I, I, that's something you can't really always train for. And uh, as drilled, well-drilled as they are, that might be something that sort of separates us from, you know, like the Welsh team who really sort of struggled to accumulate points against England early on. Uh, and what, what do you think Scotland's strengths are, Ian? Um, again, you know, it's kind of the back row is a real area of strength. Um, I think there's more tacticalness, um, likes of Barkley, for example. I think he would have picked up on what they were doing last week um, in a flash. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that's at the breakdown. Uh, we've we've probably faced the two best back rows so far in Ireland because you know they're all of their back three could be in contention for the Lions, and we we pretty much were on a par with them. Um, and then Wales, although we were you know, a bit off the pace maybe the first half hour, um, you know, we came into it and then started dominating the breakdown area. Uh, so that is definitely one of the one of our main strengths, I think. And like, um, sorry, was it Jack or Gav that answered previously? It was Jack. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll get a grip of this. <laughs> don't worry. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I don't think England have in their winning streak I don't think they've faced somebody like Finn Russell particularly not in the form he's in this year um, so you know I'll be looking for a bit of magic from him I'm sure we can talk a bit more about that in depth later on and Gav would you agree I mean is this Scotland team different to what England have faced so far in the, the last 17 matches they've won uh, we're certainly different um, I think 
the wins in Australia were probably the highlight of England's run so far. Um, we probably don't possess as much of a threat to England as as Australia do on their own patch. But you know, I think we can we can go there and give it a good game. As Jack said, we've got the players who can throw it about and and really really have a go at them. Um, but if if we don't get on top of their big straight runners um, and they start winning the contact, then we could be we could be in a lot of bother as well. And I think that's that's the most important thing. Whether well, well, we're all kind of optimistic, and we've seen Scotland win two out of three. You know, England are going for a, a world record, um, so it, it's going to be by far probably the toughest game that that Vernon have taken charge of the team for. Right. Um, so, what what comedy English accent should I should I do this time? I'd go Cornish. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Try not to laugh at the end of this because this is a, a good crack of this one. Um, England are a pretty solid unit at the moment, proven to be rugged, determined, and hard to beat. Our biggest asset is our self belief and the winning culture, which Stuart Lancaster continues to develop. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure that last one quite turned out um, <laughs> the, way the, <laughs> the way that guy thought in 2013 but never mind um, right so the next question what weaknesses do the opposition hold that your side can exploit I went for complacency and arrogance um, I thought England I, I think like we'd said in the previous bit I think Ian you were saying that England have maybe had an easy ride um, uh, over the past 17 games maybe even including the way that we played them uh, last year um, I think it papers over a lot of cracks. Um, what what do you think England's weaknesses are, Gav? Um, I think potentially complacency is always something against us. I think particularly at Twickenham, um, that record stood for so long now that you know they they probably expect the Scotland team to roll up and and be beaten. Um, Jack said previously that you know we've got players with a lot of flair. I don't. Really, think England have got have got the same thing. You know, their wingers are good finishers. Mike Brown's very solid, and in that respect, the Wales back line reminds me a lot of sorry the England back line reminds me a lot of the Welsh one. Um, they're very very solid. They've got players that do a good job, and probably Owen Farrell's probably the best goal kicker in the world. But for me, there's not the same level, the same type of flair, the same type of creative players. And Ian, do you think that's Gav's assessment's fair? Um, yeah, I'd say that's pretty pretty spot on, to be honest. Um, you know, there's well, this is thing you know with Eddie Jones saying no player, well, with perhaps um, with the exception of Owen Farrell, he's saying you know the the jersey's just on loan, um, so we don't know who's going to be starting, which is you know could maybe cause a little bit of confusion in the ranks. But there's with the exception of Elliot Daly. Um, I don't, I've not really been impressed with any of their backs. Um, Jack Noll came on and scored two tries against a tiring Italy side last week. Uh, he's a pretty good finisher, but um, someone like Johnny May, for example, who you know, he's, all he's got really is pace. Um, I'm not, I've not really been impressed with him, to be, to be frank. Here's a question, Ian. Is, is Tim Visser better than Johnny May? Um, <laughs> that, that is an interesting question, seen as you know, a couple of weeks ago I spent most of the slagging off Tim Visser for his defending and then he pulled out an amazing tackle again. <laughs> that shut me up um, whoever that imposter was playing 11 for Scotland yeah, genetic clone <laughs> of Tim Visser they got um, 
Yeah, because that's what I think Johnny May as well. He's not a particularly good defender um, from what I've seen. Uh, I think we could maybe get the run from there because you know, Seymour's a, a world-class stepper and Tim Vissel's a lot bigger than Johnny May, so if he's starting, then he could run right over the top of him. Uh, if, if, even though Tim Vissel seems to be terrified of contact, despite the fact he's an absolute giant. Uh, and Jack, um, what do you see as England's weaknesses? I mean, it's maybe been a surprise that they haven't started with uh, Farrell at 10 so far in this tournament. Do you think that's something we might see on Saturday? Um, I, I imagine he'll probably stick with how he's gone previously. I, I am interested to see who he throws in at centre. I know a lot of English people are calling for Ben Teo to play, which I personally would see as an advantage to us, I think. He's, a, he's obviously a, a large unit and uh, he's a big hitter, but he, he sort of falls into that sort of big hit or no hit. If you can get a side, like us, get an angle on him, you know, someone like Hugh Jones might be able to get their way around him. Um, I, I just don't think England really know what their best 15 is right now. I think there's, there's places where they could improve, like moving Farrell to 10 and taking Ford out the team. I mean, I, I, would, I would absolutely love to see Scotland utilise Tommy Seymour's aerial ability a bit more against whoever he, he's playing on his opposite wing. I think that's a really good advantage. I mean, in my personal opinion, I think he's one of the best. He's probably the best guy in the air in the Northern Hemisphere right now. I mean, um, I think maybe in the last couple of games, um, it's been apparent that the opposition sides have maybe found that out and have been targeting the opposite wing. I think Maitland got a lot of attention during the Ireland game and then against Wales, um, Tim Visser got a lot of attention as well. I wonder whether there's a case for... Um, Seymour switching wings throughout the match with whoever he's op- whoever's opposite him. Would you say, Jack? I mean, I mean, I, I, I know we'll come on to it a bit later, but I think Maitland in the in the air is pretty like a really good himself. I mean, he's playing in that Saracens team who do a lot of kick chase work, um, and I, I don't really see as much of a weakness. Certainly with Tim Visser, I mean, it'd be if he does play, then it'll be interesting to see if that was a. An anomaly that game uh, last Saturday, but in who knows? I'm, it, it would be good, just certainly an attack to really try and expose these guys that they're up against. See if there is a bit of uh, weakness against Seymour. Uh, and what accent should I do the uh, English guys' response to what weaknesses we've got? Any suggestions? Gav yeah, Gav. No, I'll go. I don't know. Uh... Cockney. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Well, go for Dick Van Dyke, Cockney. Where do you start? Scotland's perennial problem has been how to finish off the chances they create. Solid peck, competitive back row, half decent half backs, but no cutting edge. They have the, they have the players, and in Tim McVisser, they have one of the best finishers around, but rarely threaten the opposition try line. Um, so that, I think that went all over. That was definitely there's a bit of South African and Australian in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that's true anymore. Um, Absolutely not. No, no. I certainly no. would. Um, I mean, if that's what England do think, then that might uh, play to our advantage. But I, I would have thought they might be a bit more genned up on that. Um, the last question we have was uh, how the game will unfold, and I'll just go around uh, for your scores. Uh, then, Gav, what, what what are you going for final score or points difference? Uh, head says England Heart says Scotland by four Scotland by four Jack uh, I'm going to go Scotland by two Scotland by two and Ian um, I, I'm going to go over the head I'm going to say England by five and quite low scoring um, I think under 20 points uh, sort of somewhere around 
maybe 17, 12, 19, 14, something like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, four years ago I went for Scotland to win 12-6, um, and the English guy's gone uh, England by nine, um, but probably both feasible. I mean, I, I, I mean, don't want to call myself uh, psychic, but I did go for uh, Scotland by ten against Wales. Um, so um, I will yeah, say, I said about 10 as well. yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say this time Scotland by fifteen. Just, just see if that that's, works. Yeah, <laughs> deny, deny them the losing bonus point. That would be ideal. That's Absolutely. that's it. Yeah, we need we need to if we if we've got aspirations of of going for it. Um, but in terms Which of, of course, steady, steady on. <laughs> <laughs> we we're allowed to get ahead of ourselves, Gav. It's the team aren't we are. Once again, the Scottish Rugby Blog has teamed up with Dove Mencare to give you the chance to win two tickets to Scotland versus Italy at BT Murrayfield on the 18th of March. All you have to do is visit our website www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk and answer the question. Entries close on Monday the 13th of March. Good luck. Um, we'll maybe go have a look at the starting lineup then. Uh, Gav, you said you'd have a look at the forwards. I mean, who do you think we'll see turn out on Saturday? Um, to be honest, probably not a, a lot of change. Um, I think certainly the, the front row, I think Gordy Reid did enough. I actually thought he was... He was really good um, in the game against Wales, so no reason to change there. Fraser Brown, similarly. Um, Fagerson, we appear to have nobody else. Um, Simon Bergen's done, I think, two stints of 80 minutes on the bench. Uh, so, yeah, so Reid, Brown, Fagerson, the Greys in the second row, I think, ex- totally explain self-explanatory. Um, Barclay again at six. I think his work at the breakdown could be really, really important because England obviously don't naturally have a, a seven in their side. Um, with him and him and Watson can get can get at England there, then we we could have a big chance. Well, that um, that that does depend on whether we decide to form rocks or not, of course. <laughs> I think yeah, I think we'll play probably more conventionally than than the Italians. Um, yeah, so the only change would be Watson for Hardy at seven. Um, and then my starting pack would be finished off with Ryan Wilson at eight. Yeah, and he had, he had a, he had quite a good uh, game against um, uh, against Wales the other week. I think I can't remember who it was on Twitter put up uh, a sort of a thing of his, his last eight tackles, which were just pretty relentless one after the other in the space of about five minutes. Oh, I saw that. That was like Kevin Miller. I yeah, think. that was that was incredible. Yeah, what an effort! That's pretty unbelievable. And, and Ian and Jack, have either of you had a look at the backs? Uh, um, no, to be honest, I mean, I I think we should just go with the same same starting fifteen that we did against Wales. Uh, the only slight possible change I'd maybe make um, in the twenty three, um, I'd maybe take Weir out for Horn just because he offers um, more versatility. Because um, he, he was very good on Saturday, Peter Horn. Um, I've often said I don't like him at standoff, but his distribution was excellent. Admittedly, it was a, a pretty dire Newport side, um, but he seems to be, you know, getting back to match sharpness. Um, so that'd be the only change I would make to the twenty-three. But I'd, I'd stick with the same backs as what we had against Wales. I worry about that. I think 
Horns obviously only just come back, um, and I watched the the Glasgow game on the on the TV, and the Dragons were shambolic at best. Um, yeah, th- thirty-one missed tackles, one hundred and thirty-one for all the stat fans out there. Crazy. Yeah, that's that's just... that's disgraceful for a for a professional team. Is that's a embarrassing statistic. And there was even a, a point where Mark Bennett uh, fended off a back rower from like a standing start practically. Um, yeah, they were just straight through the middle, no problem. It was like going through a wet paper bag. Um, they were pretty pretty dire. But Gav, you'd you'd have weirin. I, I don't know. I generally don't particularly like. Duncan Weir, not that he's, he does anything wrong, I just think he's a, a bit limited coming off the bench. Fine if we're 15 points up with 10 minutes to go and he can kick the corners, but I just feel it's a bit of a waste sometimes. Um, had Horn played another game, I'd probably be in the same mind as, as Ian, but given that Weir's been involved in the, the squad and, and has played pretty regularly for Edinburgh when he's available, yeah, I think on, on balance of things, probably. I think the other thing to say is that Bennett will have known playing for Glasgow on on Saturday that he was under a bit of pressure for the, the bench spot from uh, Sean Maitland. And I actually thought he played really, really well. That's probably the best game I've seen him play this season. Um, so, yeah, I think if Maitland doesn't come into the, the starting side, he, he probably misses out altogether. Is he fully fit? After he injury played a fair bit against uh, Newcastle, I think. Yeah. I think 76 minutes, I think, he played. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But, but Jack, you were saying you'd maybe have Maitland in place of Visser? Yeah, I mean, I, I apologise for being uh, for being very pessimistic towards our, our new favourite player in Tim Visser, but I just, I just fear that because he was up against a, a George North who was painfully short of match experience... It made Visser look maybe a bit better than he was. And I imagine whoever... I mean, I'd be especially worried if Jack Knowles up against him. I think Jack Knowles in good form. He looks... And and he's, and the last time he played down at uh, Twickenham, he, he ran rings around half the team. And I just think England could really expose that side if we're not careful. So I, I'd probably stick in Maitland just for defensive security more than anything. And then what, what would you do with the bench then, Jack? Are you going to keep... Keep it as it is, or and and Visser drop out of the match day squad altogether. Yeah, um, following on from what the guys are saying, I I was quite impressed with Mark Bennett. I thought it was his best game in a while. Uh, where he's the point where he did hand off the the back rower uh, for the Dragons, and then he showed some serious wheels to get to the line. That was pretty impressive to see. Um, and I think he's probably better because if you if you play Visser, you can only play in one position, whereas Bennett, you can imagine, probably has wing-covering ability as well. Um, so, I, yeah, I'd probably go with Bennett. Now, a good, interesting one about whether or not Pete Horn or Duncan Weir. Again, I thought Horn had a pretty decent game. It's just whether which way Perm wants to play off the bench, I'd say. And, and I mean, it's worth talking about maybe while we're on about uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Gav, did you watch the Edinburgh game at the weekend? I saw parts of it, but I've not seen... Didn't watch all of it. I must admit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you wonder whether or not it's worth Horn coming in, given that he's come off the back of the win with the confidence, given the time that Weir's had uh, with Embra during the Six Nations. Uh, maybe his confidence has taken a, a, a bit of a knock. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair point. Um, obviously, he's kind of 
in and out the Scotland setup. I don't know how much he'll be doing through the week with it, with obviously playing second fiddle to Finn and then going back to Edinburgh and, and invariably losing on a, a Friday night. Can't do much for your confidence. Um, like I said, had Horn had another game, for me it's a, a no-brainer. But I just think maybe on the balance of you know Horn only having played, I think, twice since he's come back yeah, at, at standoff. Games he's, had, um, he's had three. Yeah, but three. Against, against the Ospreys, he was pretty terrible, to be honest. Yeah, that that's kind of what worries me, is that it seems like a... You know, quite a drastic change, and I suppose from the goal kicking side of things, no Greg as well. Do you look at percentages? Is we're probably as a, a higher percentage kicker than than Horn off yeah. the tee. Yeah, yeah Horn's place kicking is um, he, he misses. He got six out of seven uh, on Saturday, but he, the one he did miss was pretty much right in front of the sticks. He, yeah. he did the same thing a few uh, maybe three years ago. Um, Why is this happening to Scottish fly halves? <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe it's uh, we need to start getting more um, rugby posts in parks for kids to have practice with. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was on the bus going over to the um, the Royal Children's Hospital the other day, and they had like a Ameri- there was parks with American football posts up, but not rugby posts. That's disgusting. American football had taken you know. Taking such high precedence these days, but um, well, it's interesting in, in England after the World Cup, um, as part of the bid, they put um rugby posts in almost every park, and they've all got the England uh, World Cup bid flags on them. So around Leeds, where I am, there's you know just one post, one set of posts in every park, presumably to go after the New Zealand model of you know having posts everywhere for kids to have a kick at. So it's not it's not a bad idea, maybe something the SRU should be looking at. Um, yeah, Saying that New Zealand's uh, kickers aren't the greatest in the world either. True, true. And how long till they get vandalised and pulled down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe, uh, maybe not every park, Ben. Rugby blog, Fantasy Six Nations League. Okay, guys, we're going to have a chat about uh, our Superbrew Fantasy League. Uh, there weren't any games last week, but we've got two uh, first-time podcasters with us in Ian and Jack. Now, Jack has let the side down and is on a rival um, rival Fantasy League site. Uh, but how are you getting on there, Jack? Have you got your own Friends League there? Yeah, I mean, certainly in a, in a global sense, I'm doing pretty terribly. Um, but uh, in my league, it's pretty competitive between me and the other ignorant followers of Stuart's Melville Rugby. <laughs> <laughs> any others? Any other rival podcasters on that league? Nah, totally. <laughs> no, no, <Okay>. nothing. <laughs> um, and Ian, you are top of the writers for the Scottish Rugby blog in oh, uh, the Super Brew. You've got five hundred and sixty points in your fifteenth. Yeah, I just I checked it earlier. Um, I've left about 30 points on the bench, so I could be up in second or third place. Um, I rather foolishly, like, I went for the the uh, whoever's playing Italy tactic, just load the team with them, and Strong, today I decided to, to pick Owen Farrell. Uh, he has an absolute shocker, and Finn Russell was brilliant, and I swapped him in 
I put Finn Russell out and put Owen Farrell in, so I won't be making that mistake again. Um, but what's but the I, yeah? What's the secret to your success? Because the rest of us are doing terribly. Is it not playing rugby competitively? Is that the answer? Yeah, just just being a you know a scholar of the game rather than actually playing it. Um, uh, just the Italy tactic. I made CG Stander my captain uh, when Ireland were playing Italy. He got a hat trick. I think that that second week I got a ridiculous number of points. Um, I think globally I jumped up some like fifteen hundred places just off the back of that. Um, so yeah, so my my top tip is don't ever play rugby. Yeah, um, and you're just fine at fantasy league. The sickening thing is that I picked CJ Stander as my captain in that match too, and yet I'm languishing way down the table, and yet somehow you're you're further up. So, um, well, I also you know I've um, you know I, I put my opinions on certain people to the side. So Keith Errols is in my team as well. I've stopped <laughs> short of me. Stop short of Mike Brown. You know a man's got to have standards. Um, <laughs> you got to draw the line yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Owen Farrell, Keith Earls are bad enough, but uh, yeah, no, um, some of my Scotland players aren't doing too great. I've got Hugh Jones, who's been playing well, but he's not in terms of fantasy points, um, he's not racking them up. But I mean, did you see that? Um, I think it's Accenture that do official teams of the week, um, and they use like a stat based algorithm to decide it, uh, and like. Jamie Heaslip got picked ahead of Ryan Wilson. Yeah. I think the only player who made it from Scotland is maybe Tommy Seymour. Uh, Tim Visser wasn't even in the team. And, you know, he tried saving tackle, scored a try, uh, won practically every aerial battle he had with George North. Um, not the one with Dan Bigger, because Dan Bigger did his usual. Um, but, yeah, so you don't, don't really know what more he could have done. I think, yeah, it's maybe uh, like I think we said in episode one. I think it's a Scott Johnson quote about um, about statistics being like bikinis. You know, mm. don't don't you don't show you everything. Kelly. I love that quote. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's my secret love of Scott Johnson quote. I just got you know, <laughs> I miss him. It's the only it's the only one. I know well, that's the only one I remember anyway, just because it was about bikinis. Um, <laughs> but Gav, have you bothered to pick anyone this week? Uh, I've actually not looked at it yet, <laughs> but I I can safely say that this conversation will remind me to do so before the first game kicks off on Friday night. Uh, I like Ian. Um, kind of went for a bit of the anyone that's that's playing against Italy, and that backfired a bit for me. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll certainly make a few changes for for this week. Yeah, you're not doing too badly, though, for someone that hasn't bothered to pick their team, so, um, yeah. It's the Legally Mandated Lions Chat. The Legally Mandated Lions Chat. We've heard so much about it that it makes us sick. But we've still got a chat about who Gatlin's gonna pick. Okay, it's the legally mandated Lions chat. There weren't any games last weekend, but we will, uh, well, we're contractually obliged to find some sort of way to lever the Lions into any conversation, um, given that it's a Lions year. So this week I've asked the guys just to have a think about whether or not the Lions might have made a mistake by appointing Warren Gatland um, as early as they did, given Wales' current run of form. Is that fair, do you think, Jack, to question Gatland's selection? Um... I think it's a difficult one. I, I'm very anti-Gatland in general, and it gave me a lot of pleasure seeing him looking ill in the stands <laughs> as Scotland were crushing through his Wales team. Um, I mean, it, if, if 
in my view, the the last tour was up against a very poor and shambolic Australia team, and they actually made quite hard work of it in the first two tests. Um, I, I, my problem with him is I think he's going to be so stubborn, and he's he probably already had picked most of his team before the Six Nations had began, and really not willing to give too many people a look in. I, I would love to for him to come out and be like, do you know what, uh, Hamish Watson, for instance, is really in my reckoning because I think he's had a stormer and I don't really care he's not had many international caps. But he just doesn't really come across as that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but we're never going to know until we're there, I guess. So Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Gav, you, you, you know, Warren Gatlin's already sort of had a dress rehearsal for the Lions too, having taken Wales across to um, New Zealand and even lost a midweek game pretty badly. Um, so it, ha- have the Lions made the wrong call? I think it's certainly obviously a very good question, um, but probably on the the balance of things, I'm I'm with Jack. I'm not a huge Gatland fan, and I think, as Jack said, the the two or four years ago was they made hard work of winning the first test. Obviously, lost the second one, um, and finally kind of came good in the, the third. Um, Gatland obviously proved he can he can make the big calls. He left out O'Driscoll. Um, but then there was the, the, the shambles of the, the Brumbies game in the between tests two and three. And I don't know. I think for me, probably not. It's probably not the, the it's not at the wrong call because of the lack of other options. Um, I think if you look, Townsend wouldn't have done it. Eddie Jones ruled himself out. Schmidt said no. So we were probably back to Gatland and, he knows the setup. He knows how the the lions works, and but I, I do worry about um, the some of the squad selections. Do Do we know that Joe Schmidt said no? Then I was I was almost sure that Schmidt had said or ruled himself out, um, similar to Eddie Jones before before they made any announcement about Gatland. Uh, and what's your take on that, Ian? Do you think maybe the the Lions should have been pushing someone like Joe Schmidt a bit harder to take the job? Um, I would. I mean, I'm not sure who who could potentially fill the role, but I would maybe maybe have thought sort of somebody from outside the home unions, um, so that there's no indication of bias um, or or chance of it. When when Warren Gatland came out and said, um, you know, when Gregor Townsend had declined a coaching role with with the Lions. Uh, you know, he said it could affect the, the chances of Scotland players going, which I thought was um, you know, disappointing and, and slightly out of order, um, because you should be picking the players on their merits, um, not just, you know, because, you know, well, his coach isn't coming with me, so it, it seemed quite spiteful. Um, I'm not a fan, like the other two guys, of, of the Warren Ball kind of bish-bash-bosh tactics. Um, I think they've been found out to be a bit uh, one-directional, um, and won't be utilising the best of the players, the, the, the pool of players that we have, that, that we can select from. And, and Ian, you lived in New Zealand, is that right? Um, yeah, yeah, I was there for about a year um, on a sort of working holiday visa thing, yeah. And, and do you, I mean, have you got any connections back there now? I mean, what, what is this much hype out there? Um, I, I've got a, a friend to speak to about certain players and then see how things are going. I asked him about um, the Warriors new signing, Calvin Gibbons. 
Um, but I've, I've also as well, I sometimes go on uh, New Zealand websites to, to, to look into this kind of thing. Um, and they, they don't seem to be talking about it too much. Um, but I haven't, I haven't checked a great deal. Um, well, I think maybe as the time gets closer, there will be more talk about it. But we've still got the, the six nations to go and see who the foreign players are. And, yeah, and Gav, I mean, it, it seems, I don't know whether it's just the standard of the games or um, or, or the Lions tour coming on the horizon, but there certainly seems to be a bit more recognition about um, Northern Hemisphere rugby this time around um, down south. Yeah, I think you generally get that in a, a Lions year. Um, people pay a bit more attention and, yeah, I think the, the quality of the rugby has probably improved quite a bit as well. Um, whether it's the the introduction of the bonus point or teams have opened up a bit you look at us for example Scotland were never a team who chucked the ball about and scored tries but this season we've kind of found that side to our game um, and that's the kind of thing that gets people in the, the south interested I think and hopefully I think just on, on one thing Ian said I'm not so bothered about Gatland um, as the, the head coach of the Lions what worries me is the makeup of his backroom staff. I think how Rob Howley is there is beyond me. I mean, he's just it's done nothing for nothing for years, and the man continues to be rolled out as a world-class international coach. Borthwick, fair enough. Um, is Andy Farrell the, def- the defence coach? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's obviously showed up. Ireland quite a bit and their their defence is pretty pretty solid but I just no wonder Townsend turned them down um, to go as the assistant to the assistant like what's the point and Jack do you think maybe we might have seen Townsend gone go if he'd maybe been shown a bit more respect and given a proper job uh, I, th- I think it was always going to be a difficult one for Townsend to accept the Scotland job and then basically say, all right, we'll see you later, guys. I'm off to really enhance my career with the Lions. Um, I think it would have been a great opportunity for him, but I think it would have always been a big call for him to have gone and sort of left that Scotland team in limbo while he was away. Um, just touching. Townsend's time will come as well, I think, Jack. Do you agree? It, exactly. I mean, he's still, by any stretch, a, a young coach in the game. He's still got a lot to learn. Um and that, like, he'll what if he does similar work to what Cotter's done? Then you can imagine that he'll be really considered for maybe a more senior role in the Lions. Come uh, what year will be twenty twenty one or whatever? Yeah, you can imagine that. Um, it'll be great to see what he does in Scotland. I, I, I feel a wee bit for the guy because obviously with how well Scotland have done, everyone's been like, oh, can't believe Vern's leaving. Like, this is a joke and so on. But, like, Townsend has helped Vern Cotter in the way that he's developed some of these players. And to get his, get him to, like, take a hold of the international, or the whole crop of international players, I, I think you're probably not going to get a better transition of coaches from Cotter to Townsend than you would with if, if it was someone outside. So... I mean, it'll be good for him to go and prove and get everyone off his back about Cotter getting kicked out of the door. And while I've got you uh, and Ian here, Jack, um, how many Scotland players do you think realistically we're likely to see on the plane? Oh, I need a quick bit of mental maths. Right. 
Have you have you gone on to your second hand yet? <laughs> I I was thinking oh, in a, yeah. in and around the six six mark. Uh, I just really hope that there's more than Welsh players. I'm very much a you have to pick who's in form and who's playing well rather than reputation. Um, and but what, I'd say about six. About six. And Ian, what what about you? I mean, realistically, what what number would you reckon? Um, I think both the greys are definitely worth a shout. Johnny's probably got his seat booked. Hog is a definite, I think, everyone agrees. Um, I think the, the Telegraph said that up to nine on Monday. Yeah. Uh, I think Dun- Dunbar's maybe in the reckoning um, because of his breakdown work and his defensive work. We are going to spend a lot of time on the back foot because New Zealand are, are quite good, we may have noticed. Um, yeah, I think Seymour's maybe a bolter and... Also, I think um, as a as a real outside chance, somebody like John Barkley, because he has been superb since he came back into the team. Um, maybe even Ryan Wilson. And the back row is there's a, a huge number of top class players there. But I think depending on how how we end up, uh, these last two games could could see that number rise from maybe like say five up to the, the nine that the Telegraph mentioned. A lot um, of people are saying Fraser Brown as well. As an I was just, shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Fraser Brown, if if I don't think the Six Nations will determine whether he goes because I think Jamie George will always be in, in pole position um to take the kind of third hooker spot with Hartley and Rory Best, but it it could actually almost be a Lions shootout when Glasgow play Saracens. And if, if Glasgow can do something at, at Allianz and and beat Saracens, or certainly Fraser Brown puts one over on, on Jamie George, Gatland will have to think about that. Because for all Jamie George has been great for Saris and he's good when he comes off the bench for England, he's won however many caps and not started a game yet. So it's it's got to be something that he, he considers. I mean, are we sure? Are we, are we sure that Hartley's going to make the plane? Because I mean, you know, the the, the well documented reason he didn't go last time, he's been picked by Eddie Jones despite having been out for a long time. Um, probably that's not what wasn't the best of uh, selection choices either. So I mean, there's no guarantee that Hartley's definitely going to go, and he's not necessarily covered himself in glory so far in the Six Nations either. Yeah, I mean, a lot. Of- a lot of English fans are calling for him to be kicked out of the starting team. I've been really disappointed with his performances. I personally think he'd be a very easy person for the New Zealand media to get to and really start to bother. Well, um, yeah, the last time he was out there, he ended up tossing off midgets. <laughs> <laughs> tossing off midgets? Well, th- there was midget tossing going on in, on in the... In the yeah. <laughs> Comment of the week. Right, guys, it's time for comment of the week. Um, remember, in order to have a chance of having your comment read out, you do have to leave it on the blog under one of the articles. You can contact us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog and on our Facebook page, but to get comment of the week, you do have to leave a comment on the site. So, um, Ian, we'll start with you. What comment have you picked out this week? Okay, I'm going to go with um, Tony Stedman. Uh, he said that Stuart Lancaster's been on RTE. Um, saying that uh, Ireland could derail England's Grand Slam hopes when they play on the last Saturday. And he said that should be pinned up on the Scotland wall at Twickenham. Um, sort of, which reminds me of the, the Jim Telfer speech to the uh, to his forwards in the South Africa Lions tour when he had Martin Johnson all that round. And he's, you know, he had the, the South African press had been slate, slating 
the Lions pack. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go with that one. And and Jack, what have you gone with? Um, I've gone with a comment by Doddy's Trues, um, <laughs> which uh, I think perfectly highlights the optimism in Scottish rugby, well, how elastic it is when there's two wins on the board, who said that although... Glasgow and Edinburgh's league performances are poor. He said he'd be mildly content with two European Cup wins and a Six Nations title <laughs> to sort of balance it out. Which I thought that that's wonderful to see now that we're apparently world beaters. Uh, and and are we getting ahead of ourselves, Gav? You were cautioning us early, maybe just to to you know take it back a couple of notches. Yeah, let's let's worry about England first, and then we can uh, can we think about beating Italy and. Points differences and bonus points for the championship, and and uh, whatever comes in the the two European Cups is uh, is a bonus. Edinburgh will really really struggle with their injuries um, against La Rochelle, and obviously Saracen to the defending champions. So there probably couldn't be a greater test for for Glasgow either. Um, at this stage, yeah, Six Nations Championships and two European Cups. Let's bring it on. That'll be all right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Actually, Gav's clearly a trophy up. case at Murrayfield. Yeah, <laughs> wonder who's in charge. You know, I feel sorry for whoever's in charge of dusting that down. <laughs> Full time job. Uh, but uh, Ian Gav's a one one game at a time man. There, I mean, it's an unusual situation for Scotland fans to be in at this stage in the tournament. Does it feel um, Does it feel uneasy to you? Um. I mean, after we beat Ireland, you know, and everyone's you know delighted as we should have been because it was a tremendous win over a very good, very very good side. Um, you know, I was urging caution because we've seen big results before and then not back them up. Um, but the fact is, we're playing very a very attractive brand of rugby. It's getting people excited. You know, we do need to, to see how we get on against England, see how far we have actually progressed. I mean, it's, it's going to be a hell of a tough job going down there. Always is. Um, and even, you know, now they're going for the, the record breaker or the record equaler. Record, record equaler. Record equaler. Um, yeah, I mean, it's cautious optimism. Uh, you know, it's great to see that we're, we're playing well now and giving teams a, a game. Uh, whereas before, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 35. I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen many years of just us getting absolutely thumped. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the progress has been, it's been coming. Uh, and most people have. Uh, I've, I've got a lot of friends over in Ireland. It's funny when you said about New Zealand. If I've got any contacts in New Zealand, I worked in an Irish bar, so the majority of people actually down there are Irish. Yeah, I mean that, that when you were saying about being 35 and following Scotland, it sort of reminded me of the um, monologue of in Blade Runner. So I've seen attack ships on fire off the shoulder <laughs> of Orion. You know, I've seen <laughs> Scottish scrums annihilated on the pitches of Ireland and Wales and. You know, watch sea beans glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate, and I've seen, you know, Scottish fullbacks drop balls in their own twenty-two. Um, but Jack, I mean, it, it, there's been a lot of people on Twitter. Matt, I think uh, Graham Love, friend of the blog, has been doing it, working out mathematically whether or not um, uh, how it would pan out for Scotland to win, and, and we do have to win the game against Twickenham for that to even be a possibility. Uh, are you optimistic? Um. In a way, yes. I mean, I like to think I always have a bit of optimism. Uh, I don't know if that's just a horrible bias. But, um, like, this England team has not played overly well. Um, 
yeah, they're, they're, they're at that level now where they can grind out wins in a not very pleasant style. But I think what is really optimistic for Scottish rugby right now is the fact that, uh, I mean, I, I thought the best performance we've had it was the first half against Ireland. We were just absolutely phenomenal. The intense in defence, uh, just the, how clinical we were in attack. Um, uh, all the chat in the camp has been about how they need to go one better. To, to, to beat these guys than any performance. They haven't, they've self-admitted they haven't put together an 80-minute performance and what a time it would be to do it. And you could just imagine that Cotter is building them up for this one. Uh, let's hope they don't let us down, but I mean, if, if they could put together that first 40 minutes against Ireland in over at least 60, hopefully 80 minutes, then you'd think that we're in with a really good chance of, of, of beating them. Right, Gav, we'll, we'll put the optimism to one side for a moment. What's your comment of the week? <laughs> Thank goodness, that was far too much optimism for, for one day. <laughs> have you, had, have you had, been, in, been in how to lie down, Gav? Uh, just just about. Um, I thought we were starting talk, to talk about Scotland winning the Six Nations there, which was just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, anyway, comment of the week from me, Carly, somebody that I think has commented on quite a few posts. Um, Crazy Joe on the oh, yeah. last week last week's blog post um, a bit of more constructive criticism or feedback I really enjoyed this week's pod good combo, people involved, best one yet by a long way I'd say um, I just think that's a, a really positive thing, I think it obviously shows people are, are listening um, every time we, we sit down and have these chats and uh, it's good to see that people are are coming back with, with some comments as well so Crazy Joe, keep it up. And, and no coincidence, Gav, that you were in last week's and you've picked that comment. <laughs> oh, none, none whatsoever. <laughs> um, I've gone for one off um, the article early this week that Rory posted where he drew up a, a possible Scotland team if you only were able to choose players born in Scotland or um, whose parents were born in Scotland. I think he was being a bit harsher um, than the proposed changes to the regulations are. I think the proposed changes is to keep ancestry the same so you go back to grandparent and then just changing the residency from three to five years. But there was a couple of really interesting comments on the blog. I mean, uh, James Calhoun uh, was one, um, and it's something that I've been mulling over as well. He's talking about you know New Zealand schools giving scholarships to Pacific Island kids when they're 15 and I know England do the same. There's been a couple of Scottish uh, qualified guys and guys from um, the borders, you know, shipped down to um, come to a school in Cumbria. I think Sedgeburg um, is one of the RFU feeder schools. So it, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily convinced that the three-year rules going to change anything. I mean, under the three-year rules, you're going to get guys like Strauss and Nell who've maybe proven themselves elsewhere, and they can come and command decent packages. But if you go for five years. I think all that means is you're going to get younger guys getting targeted on poorer deals and then possibly cast aside. Um, there's been a couple of guys out in France, I think, on a promise and, and, and things haven't worked out so well with them. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Ian, in terms of the residency. Would you keep it, uh, you know, Ireland and Scotland are saying they think three years is enough to you know, build up a connections to a country. Would you agree or do you think we should be changing it to five um, I'm kind of torn on this one, to be honest. Um, obviously, we've benefited from it with likes of Strauss and, and Nell in particular, uh, Tim Visser as well, uh, everyone's new favourite player. Um, I don't know. Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I know that France have adopted it uh, for themselves, but uh, they, they were 
well, their, their national team had been in decline for, for a good couple of years. And you, you see the number that they have of Fijians, even Scott Spedding. And for a country that size, you would think they'd be able to throw 15 good rugby players together. Um, <coughs> so, uh, <laughs> I know I'm stumbling here. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't really... There's I don't that. really see a need to change it. I'd, I think it's okay with the three. Um, it, I think with the way Josh, Josh Strauss spoke about how he'd you know, wanted to go and join the Viva Premiership and he just signed a new contract with Glasgow so he could play for Scotland. Some people have viewed that as being quite mercenary. Um, so I, I think the fact that he said I stayed so that I could play for Scotland shows that he did really want to play for Scotland because he's had some very good years here. Um, so... I'm alright with it the way it is, but if people want to change it, and if someone's making a cup of tea there as well. Um, <laughs> I hope it's a cup uh, of tea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I'm, I'm alright with it with the three years. I remember the uh, start of last season, first game of last season, when I was in Scotland uh, on Flag Day. Uh, the guy who's sitting beside me, he, he was furious about it. He thought it was ridiculous. And he said, oh, what does this say to the young players? And I just said, well, it shows you need to get better. And if guys like Nell and Strauss can help improve the overall quality of the, the homegrown talents we have, then that can only be a good thing. And Yeah, I mean, Jack, I was, re- I was um, in a, a Twitter argument with somebody earlier today about converting hookers to props. But, um, you know, um, Kevin Bryce was talking about the work that Nell's doing with him and, and the the help that he's given him, and I think Hamish Watson's talked a lot about the help that he's had from John Hardy and the support he's had. So it's maybe not all bad um, having foreign imports. I mean, would you change the residency rule? Um, no, I, I, I think three years is a, a huge commitment as it is. I mean, one problem I think I do have is it's been highlighted recently with the English player Denny Sol- Solomona that they've been talking about trying to go on the wing, who's who's residency qualified, but like has obviously spent two and a half years of those playing rugby league. I think you should have had to play rugby union mm. rather than, yeah. I think that's a bit, I, I think that's a bit of a, a cheat way to get him in. Um, but I, I, I think well, I completely agree with this, this stuff about how Hardy and Nell are improving people's games. Um, I mean, you, I, I think a huge amount of why it's been highlighted in Scotland is because in the past, we've not had the young players coming through, but the youth structure has improved considerably at youth level. You can see that by how well our under-20s are competing now, and it is helping to sort of minimise the gap and the need for bringing in these these project players, these imports. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I, I think it, it's fine just now, and it's kind of good. You, you see the improvement Cotter's made with bringing in a a sort of New Zealander approach and all these players, you, you learn sort of different schools of rugby and that's clearly improving our players just now. Uh, and Gav, your cup of tea finished now? Well, that wasn't me. It was me, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. I'll, <laughs> I'll admit my crime. <laughs> Gav, do you, do you think the three-year residency is enough? Yeah, I probably, on balance, I probably do. Um, I think there are issues around it potentially being one contract for, for some players so throw a bit of money at somebody and send them on a three year deal they could come over and three years later obviously they're, they're in the national team with I would questionable amounts of allegiance to your country um, to be honest I think we've had a lot of benefit from it um, 
you see the difference it's made. Just and going back to the what you were saying earlier, Carrie, about the the residency potentially changing. There's a few guys who will be potentially panicking a bit. Guys maybe that weren't brought as as project players. Um, Phil Burley is one that springs to mind. I'm sure he is qualified in the summer. And I think the World Rugby vote is in May. Mm. So if there was a change there, it could could impact on him. And uh, the other one would be Anton Bresler. The weather, weather, particularly Anton, would be likely to get anywhere near the, the Scotland squad and stuff. Um, is another debate, but I think if you change it to to five years, what you're likely to see is players, younger players, going up to other countries, going abroad, and uh, the potential for for more failures of the kind of project player idea. Um, so for me, no, I just I think it's fine as it is. Okay, guys, it's time for Hands in the Ruck. Uh, it's our Any Other Business section. Uh, we'll find out what's been bothering the guys this week. Uh, Gav, we'll go with you first. What's had its hands in your ruck this week? Uh, following on from the topic previously, um, Josh Strauss a bit. That comment about I've, I've signed a deal for uh, just to play for Scotland did annoy me a little bit. I appreciate you saying you know, he stayed here and had good times at Glasgow Um and he wanted to play, play for us, but for me, there was it felt a bit like he's he said it now because he signed this deal and he's he's going away. Um, yeah, it was a bit mercenary for me. Didn't really didn't really like that. But it was poor poor taste from Josh. But on the other hand, I, I suppose with Ian's point, if he could have gone away a couple of years ago and got a, a big payday in France or the Aviva Premiership, but he's paid, you know, he stayed maybe for less money at Glasgow just to prove his commitment to the country. Yeah, I suppose that. I mean, that is obviously the the reason he's here and and the reason he was brought here. Um, when he came initially, he was the captain of the Lions. He was probably one of their standout players in Super Rugby. So I'm sure the SRU aren't paying him a, a small fee. Obviously, yeah, he's attracted attention from from other play from other clubs and in other countries that probably can throw a lot more money at him. But you know, I I just felt it, it stunk of maybe not 100% committed to the to the cause and was was desperate to get away almost. And Jack, do you think we'll see more uh, South Africans over, um, given that they've changed their policy now to have the race quota? I think it's a, it's an interesting one, really. Um, you imagine there is a bit of a an outflux of talent. Um, you'd like to think that that more of them would decide to to stay, but yeah, you you you're going to expect to see the top fourteen in particular even more saturated with that kind of talent. And, and Ian, do you think that's why we're maybe seeing the likes of Ollie Kebble coming into Glasgow? Um. Yeah, I do. I do think so. Um, I mean, that's you know the front row as we've seen uh, this season has been a, a bit of an issue for Scotland. We don't have a lot of strength and depth there, um, so I think that's probably why he's been been brought over. Um, talking of project players, I'm just thinking of one which didn't. Well, I think he was signed as a project player initially. Then Australia went captain, 
Um, so if we want to talk about mercenaries, I think Kelly Nayaravoro's name has to be mentioned. <laughs> um, because he was muck. <laughs> for such a big guy. He, he just he looked like his heart wasn't in it. Um, from, from day one, I remember his, his debut. He, he nearly got himself sent off. He should have. He should have been sent off. He took a man out in the air quite clearly. Um, so I think that is why Kibble's been brought over. Um, what about, I mean, we're, we were talking about this whole project player sort of scenario. Could World Rugby maybe think about bringing in a cap on it? Like you can maybe only have three in your, your first 15, similar to a sort of work permit, um, not a new work permit situation that you get in football, for example. Do you think that would maybe be. Uh, option they could consider. Gav, do you want to take Gav? Sorry, yeah, I, I don't see, um, I don't see why not. Uh, it's something, something that they, they could potentially look at if they do decide to keep the, the residency law at, at three years. It's maybe worth capping, you know, I suppose the, the, the difference is then, or the difficulty then, is how you, um, how you cap it. Do you cap it at players in a, in a in a squad, like a Six Nations squad, do you cap it as players in a match 23 or in the 15 or, so there's lots of, you know, obviously discussions to be had there, but it's certainly not a bad idea. Jack? Yeah, completely agree. Um, uh, I'd just be worried that maybe about if, if, if all teams are told like you can have like a, a four in your squad, then you might see teams that aren't doing it trying to fill out those four spots just because they can um, with with foreign yeah. imports. But I think on the whole, it'd be a good idea. Um, I, you just wonder whether or not something like that would get passed through. But I think it's a good idea. Uh, and, and Jack, what's had its hands in your ruck this week? Um, my one centres around Pro 12 refereeing, a, a very common <laughs> hands in the ruck issue, I imagine, for many of our listeners. Um, so I caught a bit of, um, I think it was the Cardiff Blues versus Munster game, which was refereed by our, our own Scotsman, Mike Adamson. And I must say, in poor conditions, I thought he did a really good job. And my problem is, why aren't more young refs really getting a chance I know Mike's um, obviously probably does a lot of time with the sevens. However, I mean, the standard in the, of refereeing sometimes in the Pro 12 has been really poor. And it's it's not it's with guys who are internationally regarded, your Maitreya, Lacey, Clancy. And it would just be nice to sort of bring in this breath of fresh air and giving more young guys a chance. I mean, I, I know like, I think last year Ben Whitehouse sort of got brought in and he, he's been pretty good, certainly in comparison to some of the other guys. I'd just like to see more of them getting brought in, especially during windows like this for more experience and hopefully a changing of the guard. Ian, you were sort of agreeing with that. Do you agree with Jack? Maybe more young guys need to come in? Um, yeah, no, it was more particularly the um, when the name Clancy got mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the North Red Mist. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the quality of refereeing has been pretty poor in the Pro 12 for a while. They, they seem to um, they don't seem to be very strong. Um, I think it was Matria was maybe refereeing a Glasgow Treviso game earlier this year, uh, and he, he just completely lost control. Um, He's terrible. You know, there was, he was is all, awful. All kinds of cheating going on, um, and he was just letting both teams away with it. To be honest, um, yeah. So it would be nice to see more young young refs getting a chance, or you know, maybe when mistakes have been made. You know, referees should be held account- accountable for them 
and it should be opened up to the public because we, we're the ones who pay money to go see these games uh, and they can be spoiled by somebody who's being incompetent. Um, so I would like to see a bit more transparency from the, the Referees Association uh, if mistakes are being made. Say, look, this mistake was made. Um, you know, we've discussed it. We're, we're, we're discussing these kind of situations, especially with the, the high tackles um, coming in. You, you were seeing a, a, a wild variation and how that law was being interpreted um, when, it, when it's coming in. And we've, we've still not really got a consensus on it. You know, a, a written consensus from World Rugby would be nice, I think. Uh, and, and Ian, what's, what's had its hands in your up this week? Uh, well, going back to something Jack was mentioning earlier about um, Vern Cotter. Um, now, I'm sorry to see the big man go. I think he's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, when I saw the headline that he was leaving, I was like, oh, that's a shame. But then you read the rest of the article, it was like, all right, Townsend's coming in. Uh, but people are still bleating about this. Um, I've even heard that there's a petition being set up, which is just... Oh, because it's not going to change anything. Contracts have been signed. And just because, you know, there's a thousand people or whatever have said this, we want this to stop, it's not going to change anything. I think, you know, we should just let it lie. The decision's been made. Just, you know, move on. Move on, people. Are you saying this is Scotland rugby's Brexit? <laughs> um, worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly seems. I think you know, uh, it's gone under the radar, and all of a sudden, you know, Scotland get two wins, and suddenly people who maybe have only got passing interest all of a sudden are questioning the decision. Um, when you know we've all been sat with this decision, uh, quite happy with the transition for for some some time now. Gav, it's a petition. Um, do you think that petition's um, ill-timed and ill-thought-out? Yeah, I think, as Ian says, it's decisions have been made. Burns leaving, he's got another club. Um, Townsend's coming in. Do you know what? I actually, when it was announced, I was worried that the job was too too big for Townsend and it was too soon. And but Jack made a good point earlier that um, when Townsend gets the, the chance to work with a full full international squad, I mean there is some drivel in that Glasgow squad and they still perform pretty well um, over, obviously they've struggled a bit this season, but I think his eyes Townsend's eyes are on other things um, and I, I actually think it's a really positive thing, so I think talk of a petition and particularly when we're probably on the the verge of uh, the biggest Scotland game for a good number of years. Um, yeah, it's probably a bit ill-timed and just a bit a bit silly, really, because it's it's not really going to change anything. Uh, People just make petitions nowadays just because they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. It's getting quite <laughs> ridiculous. I wonder if they'll get a hundred thousand or whatever and get it talked about in Parliament. Parliament oh, it's yeah. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Um, I think the one thing I think there should be a petition about, I'm going to do my hands in the ruck now because I was having a, f- a few, a bit of a set to with a couple of people on Twitter early on today about this, is the uh, ticket prices on Via Google. I, I, I always seem to have Twitter fights with people on the day I do the podcast and I don't know why. Um, but it was about the, uh, particularly Via Google, uh, which is an official partner of the SRU. And I'll throw this out to you guys now. So, Italy, Scotland, um, on the 18th of March, sold out. So you're going with you and three mates, so there's four of you. What do you think, Gav, is the cheapest price for a ticket on Via Google resale? Via 
on via Google probably about 100 grand each. <laughs> um, that website's a bit of a joke. Um, well, let's have a, a proper guess. Let's say 100, 120 quid. Uh, okay, Ian, what are you guessing? Um, well, I'm just glad I got my ticket in early. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with 90. 90. And Jack, your your guess? Let's let's go between the middle. Go with 105. Right, cheapest price, and this is mine. This is in the corner, West One Silver. This is in the corner, down pitch side. So it's not a pretty crappy view. 172 pounds 66 pence. So four, please. I know yeah. four. Get, so you're get four. Get your machine ready, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> not to mention that probably £300,000 admin fee that yeah. Via Google seem to throw yeah. in there Yeah, if you've got, if it's just you and, you know, you're taking a date, just two of your cheapest tickets, 109 Um You want to go you on, make sure you marry her after that, I, Jesus. If you, want, if you want to go on your own, behind the post, you can get one for £82. Um, you have to, but you have to sit on your own. You have to sit on your own eye. <laughs> <laughs> like... I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. That via Google is just a complete farce. Yeah, I can't believe the National Union like endorsed them. Like, yeah, you got to think, think there's better people to sponsor Scottish rugby while it's doing so well right now. I know, and the thing is, I mean, it, it's not so much. Um, I don't mind people reselling tickets if they can't go. It's just the markup that they're able to put on it just is absolutely. Um, it's unethical, really, and I, I struggle to understand how the SRU can carry on with. No, I remember I I was um, I saw the headline in the Sunday Mail yesterday about how uh, you know there's kind of sting about it, um, and what it's I mean what it's doing is it's going to price real fans out, so it's only the privileged that can go, and it's going to stop people from wanting to take up the game. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not happy about these kind of things at all. Um, remember uh, during the World Cup, I've got a, a friend who's in the Canadian Navy, and he was actually going to be over in Britain. Uh, well, the World Cup was on. He was like, "Do you know anywhere where I can get a Scotland South Africa ticket?" And I, said, I checked it out. You know, officially it all sold out. And then I looked on via Google, and I was like, "Right, mate, the cheapest ticket you can get is 166 quid." So, um, luckily enough, I've got a, a friend down in England. She had a spare ticket, and um, she offered it to me first, and I was magnanimously, and also because I was going to the small game the week after, <laughs> um, I said, um, "No, but tell you what, I know a guy who'd, who'd love to go." Um, so you know, she just charged him face value for it as any sort of decent upstanding person would do um yeah because it's i mean it's, it's basically a black market these things uh, and i think that the sru and the, the english rugby union as well the fact that they kind of officially partner with them um i think is as you said cameron unethical and i think it casts them in a very bad light uh, that seems as good a time as any to stop uh thanks for that guys I'll just do a wee, um, a wee end bit on the end um, now, and then you just all say bye at the same time if you can. Okay, that's uh, that's it from us for this week. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog and check out the website www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We'll be back next week to review the uh, England and Scotland Calcutta Cup match. Uh, Gav, you join us for that one. Yeah, looking forward to it. Very good. Okay, uh, and that's bye from us. Bye. Bye, guys. See you.
I mean, it was the worst Cockney accent I've ever done. But I was, the guy who taught me was an Irishman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>